Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I lost a lot of clients. I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of people after his death because it was too hard for them to know what to say or they thought I was going to be an absolute wreck or a crazy person or, um, you know, and I, I may have been. Who knows to them as far as I know? I mean, um, you know, it's hard for everyone. It's hard for people to to know what to do or what to say. And That's Emily Nicholas talking about relationships following the death of her six-year-old son. Because we don't know what to say, we often don't say anything at all. I'm Pastor Paul, the host of Life Support, and that's one of the purposes of this program, to hear from survivors so that we can all have a better understanding of how to come alongside that person. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Today's program was taped outside of our studio as Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer sat down for an interview with Emily. And here's more of that conversation. So maybe that brings us to this, uh, the way people react. Um, and uh, for sure there's a lot of bad theology out in the world. There is. Um, but talk about those what did you, how did you respond to those people who said um, Jackson's death and, and I suppose Grace's, they would assume the same thing about Grace, that this is somehow to do with your sin or to uh, who you were or what you were doing or how did you respond to those people? Um, different ways, actually. Um when I heard that the first time, I was, it was another shock. It was like a slap in the face and then some. And I have studied God's word since then quite a bit. And I, um, I felt very comfortable in um, knowing God's word that that just is absolutely not true. And I wasn't going to buy into that lie and I wasn't gonna buy into that theology. Um, I responded to several people, um, depending on who they were in a way that, uh, I hoped made back a, not a dent or a slap, but to say, I'm going to let you know that that isn't correct. And, um, I'm sorry that, that you actually feel that because if that is true, then what you have around the corner, who knows what that could be for you? You know, only, you know, and God knows your sins, you know what I mean? But I don't know what that means for you if that's how you really look at it. Um, but I knew that wasn't true. So, um, I got away from some of those people because I did not feel they were healthy, um, for me at all. And I felt guilty about it a little bit because, um, I don't, I don't ever want to be mean or hateful or rude to anybody, you know, um, and I can see that they needed help, but I needed help in a different way at that time. And I just, there was nothing I could lend further than to just say that, um, the people that were very strong about, uh, even some of my family members, uh, were very, uh, cold, um, sort of unempathetic, 
um, get over it. When are you going to get over it? You know, it's been a year, you know, um, those kind of things. And I find that again, to be super sad. And I would cry even harder on that note because it's like, wow, God, wow. You know, where, where, what are people really thinking? How are we to really be comforters as Christ would want us to be, you know, for each other? Um, but I would, again, I have had many conversations where I actually would sit down with them and say, you know, well, I'm not ever going to get over it. You know, it's, it's, that's not the point. (laughs) That's not what I'm trying to, that's not the goal. And, um, I think just getting through each day is, is something to look forward to, but getting over it, it's not going to happen every year. There's a, you know, a heavenly birth date and his birthday, you know, and, uh, he died three days before Thanksgiving. So of course, every Thanksgiving, you know, you're going to, that's going to be there. You can't, you can't just erase that, you know, that's, that's there. And, um, and, and always at least two months or so before his heavenly birthday or his birthday, I get very emotional and I, and it's taken 11 years. He's been gone 11 years now for me to really recognize that, that, uh Oh, I'm starting to go through that season. It's just happening. You know, it's just viscerally happening. Like, um, I would go on shopping sprees, uh, just to make myself feel better, you know, and then get home broke and go, what is all this crap? You know, I don't need it. Never use it. What was that? And it took me a long time to start realizing what I would do to what kind of reactions that I was having to, to mask what I was feeling, because how do you really grieve? I mean, do you just go upstairs all the time and cry and lay in bed? You know, I, I, I wanted to stay in bed like forever. As soon as he died, I thought the clock should stop. I thought people shouldn't be doing anything. I just felt horrible. And then to see everybody still doing things and watching movies and smiling and talking and laughing and doing whatever. I just, I had no, I felt completely out of place. Like I didn't even belong anymore. When we went to our make a wish trip in Florida, he wanted to go to Disney world and, uh, the make a wish people were so incredible, but it was the first time I had ever seen other sick children besides being in the hospital, you know, with his radiation or those type of things. But you would rarely see them. They just kind of be in the hall for a minute and then go, and you wouldn't really know what's wrong with them or what's happening. But I had never seen that. Um, and there were just all these children in such pain and, had so many different various cancers and diseases. And, and I kept looking at the parents to, to, cause I'm an impersonator of music and I perform and I thought, can I forge that smile? Like, can I, can I feel that way? Like, how do I do this? You know, I don't feel like any of this, but they helped get me through a lot of things to see the joy they were going to have, that they were going to live in that moment with them, whatever was happening. And they really helped our time be more, I don't know even how to describe it, just more precious, you know? And, um, so, um, 
I don't know. I don't know where I was actually going with mm. all that yeah. exactly, no. but just the fact that there was there's so many people on both sides really that can be such a distraction to being such a, a wonderful helpmeet and how awesome God is through that the whole time, whether it be either side, you know. And if you have him, the relationship, just finding him and finding that hope in him through all of that is the only way I got through it. If I wouldn't have had it, I would be dead right now. We wouldn't even have this conversation. It, that's an absolute fact, you know. So uh, I, I hope that people want to go to the Lord rather than being angry because there's things we can't explain and sometimes it's easy to blame God or it's easy to blame someone else or yourself. You know, I went through that and may, what was it? Was it the drugs? You know, could it be a, a sin here? Could it be that? I know the way they were describing it is not what I'm saying there, but even me in my own thoughts of what I had done to my body in the past, could it be this? Um, but the research that they have done shown shows that it's pointing to a different thing, but, um, I still have those thoughts. I still wonder those things, if there was residue of any of that, you know, and how could there not be, you know what I mean? So, I don't know. Um, I've noticed just from knowing a number of people who've been through this, that there are, there are people who live well with their grief and people who don't live well with their grief. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you have seemed to figure out how to live with your grief. So what you talked a little bit about faith being an element of it, but is that it? it what is it that keeps you? Um, you know, I, I don't know how it must seem, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm working on things all the time. You know, I still have too many drinks on occasion when it's those times of, of coming up to something uh, for those dates, uh, I try to stay moderate, uh, with my things, but it's, it's still a numbing out process. And then I end up still going to God going, why am I doing this? And, you know, why am I here? You know, why do I feel this way? When am I going to stop wanting to do this and replace it with just all you, you just a God shaped brain in this way. You know, I, I, I don't know what it seems like, but I, I really do try to live for the Lord. And I'm not always very good at it. You know, I, I really am not probably, but I care about my child, you know, and I care about being here for him. But sometimes, you know, if I'll have a drink or something, I think, well, this is probably not good for my liver, but you know, this is a slower death than, you know, just going off and hanging myself, you know, and maybe I should just take it slow. You know, like sometimes you just want to die too. You just want to go, you know, but you're living. And so you have to find that balance, you know, and I'm looking for it. I'm forever probably looking for it, but I have hope that it is there. I have occasions where I do feel like I'm, I, okay, this is, this is maybe a balance here. And this is, you know, something I can cope with and get through and whatever and manage, you know, um, Right after Jackson's death, my doctor wanted to put me on Valium, Zoloft. Um, Zoloft did not work. I actually did feel like wanting to kill myself. So I got, he got me on Prozac. I hated that. Um, the Valium was a very low dose because again, I'm holistic and I, I won't even hardly take a Tylenol if I have 
a migraine. So I was like, I don't like the way this makes me feel, but it did mellow me um, in a way. And so I would even cut those in half, you know, almost placebo effect at that point um, because I would have anxiety attacks. You know, I would just like, this is just too much and people are just so mean and, you know, I'm just so vulnerable and I'm walking through this and just this, like, I just feel, you know, attacked a lot, you know? Um, so, but I ended up getting off all of that. And so really, um, drinking kind of was my go-to thing, um, for quite some time, you know, um, man, I'm still working on that. Um, but I think that probably Jackson and, and Grace, uh, have changed who you are. Have they changed? How have they changed who Quinn is? How have their, their lives affected his life? Well, you know, Quinn embraces them like I do. Um, and it's awesome because, um, you know, Jackson, when he finally found out that he wasn't going to live, um, you know, we had a really awesome talk about you know, this, this life, this is just a veil, you know, we're living in just a a different kind of dimensional situation here and, um, and really letting him know how wonderful it was going to be that he would get to see Jesus before us and, and all those wonderful things that we could try to pull from that to give him that hope. Um, Quinn has that same hope, you know, we've carried that over and he knows that his brother is, safe and happy. Um, he, he loves that he's a part of his life. Like he loves to talk about him. And, um, and again, he loves to wear his clothes or try different things. Jackson had a great sense of style, which was just, wow, I don't know where he got it. Just crazy. Awesome. And, and Quinn is finding that and, and, um, like the singing and dancing, you know, he wants to try that. You know, he wants to paint. He wants to do things and try things that Jackson did. And he's seen videos of Jackson. So it's like he he's seen him in real life. You know, um, it's not just pictures. You know, we have a lot of videos and things of him and him reading the word and lots of just different things. So Quinn uses those resources that his brother has been able to leave, that he has been able to do in just that six years of life, you know. I think it's very helpful because um, even Jackson said before he passed, he said, Mom, um, I want a brother or sister. You know, I said, well, sweetie, I have to be married for that. And you do have a brother or sister already waiting for you in heaven for sure. So you're going to get that wish right away, you know. But later when I ended up having Quinn, you know, Quinn even says today, I, I want another brother or sister or help do this, you know, or whatever. But he's very happy with knowing Grace and Jackson are his siblings, you know, and um, I think it's been very helpful for him to not pretend that it's not there or not talk about it or make it something um, shameful for him to talk about, like, oh, don't bring that up. Mom's going to cry or freak out or, you know, whatever. I think it's healthy all the way around, again, to be super honest and super real with him, you know. You are listening to the audio portion of a recent interview that took place with Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer. 
Five Stone Media is one of the co-sponsors of Life Support, and for more interviews like this, log on to lifesupportresources.org. And now back to the conversation with Lee and Emily Nicholas. What kind of advice do you, sadly, you have this equipping in your background? Well, first of all, it's, it's totally nothing easy about it. Nothing, nothing easy about it. For me, you know, 11 years ago, tabloids were still happening on a, on a regular. Um, and of course me doing hair and other things, you know, there was magazines always in our house for, uh, clients to look at and different things. And Patrick Swayze was dying of cancer at that time. And so for me, uh, Jackson had read that and he knew he had cancer. And so we hadn't told him that he was passing, um, until he started asking if he was going to survive with it. We didn't just go to him and say, look, this is what, you know, he already knew something was wrong and we were going through things and trying to, to, um, have more time. We ended up having 11 months, um, with him instead of seven. And a lot of that is not doing a lot of the chemo and also not doing full steroids either. Um, but, uh, you know, he asked. And so that opened a door so that God could help me try to explain to him in the simplest, but um, and just the way that I could at that time, you know what I mean? Just trying to get that out. I think that of course, when he passed, um, and he could have lived just a little bit longer too, but he aspirated, uh, something again, all the, all the, uh, the cancer was just breaking down of nerves. So he couldn't swallow and different things. And so we'd have to mince and, and blend and do a lot of things and, straws and different stuff till he couldn't even do straws, you know, couldn't get that to do that. But, uh, he ended up aspirating something in his lung. And so, um, the doctors even kind of tried to give Jackson more hope. They wouldn't say you're, you're going to die, you know, or any of that. So he, he was a little disappointed to be honest with you, because he thought after the treatments, he could look in the mirror and be normal again, or after this, he would be okay. So, um, by the time he was asking and realizing that looking in the mirror after these radiation treatments and certain things, it wasn't going back to what he knows to be himself. Okay. Um, we started having those discussions and he, um, he never fully discussed with me on how that made him feel exactly. But knowing my son, the way I knew him and that connection that we had, we both just understood in the, in the quietness of that reasoning out situation to, um, to just love on each other for what we had left on the, on the actual night that he passed, um, he had aspirated and they said, Emily, you know, we can open up his chest and try to get that cleared, but he will most likely die on the table and you would not be seeing him anymore, you know, from that, you know, like that. And so it was an awful decision. And this is something parents 
have to face a lot too, whether they're going to do chemo, whether they're going to do certain medications. Um, uh, and in this case, whether they're going to let them try to get the aspiration out and just hope and prayer and faith and whatever you might need to take with you that you'll see him again and have some more time, you know, but I had to make the decision, which was really difficult to not do that so that I could hold him and be with him until he took those last breaths. And as he was taking those last breaths, as the machine, he was, you know, on a machine and they, um, you know, every breath, it just, you know, you just don't know if that's the last one. It was that agonizing for him, you know, and painful. But on the very, I would say last five or six breaths or so, I knew it was happening and I just took him in my arms and I just laid in the hospital bed with him and his eyes got so bright. The very last breath that he took, his eyes got so bright like he wasn't ill at all. I've never seen his eyes that bright in my life and he stared right through me like, like, Jesus was right behind me or angels were all around. It was like, I could tell he was having this whole other experience that I was in this room having this experience and he's actually having something not from here. Okay. I knew it to be so, but all I could say was, is you are so precious and God is coming to get you right now. You are so safe. You have nothing to be scared about. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to have any anxiety you know, just breathe into Jesus's arms. And the things that came out of my mouth, I couldn't really repeat to you necessarily other than those things. But I didn't even know for sure, even though I have faith in God and I love God, I don't really know much about heaven except for what it says in the Bible. We don't really see certain things here and you have to really reach out from that. And I was just all um, wrecked out, you know, in so many ways. I even stopped praying for a time because I thought, well, this just doesn't work. You know, he's not getting better. You're not saving him. I'm not mad at you, but I don't know what else I can do. You know my every thought. You know what I would love for to happen, obviously, here. It's not happening. I just don't even think we can talk right now. I love you, but I, I just can't talk right now. I don't know what to say, you know, that's going to change it. So I would say to parents that have that um, task of having to tell their children what's going on, um, Hopefully their children are in a place where they can hear that because they need, you know, it needs to be both things, you, you know, uh, you can really do damage if that child isn't really ready to, to accept some things once it's gone to a place. Um, and so in some cases, maybe they, you know, never should or, or won't be able to, you know, for, for me personally, Jackson was ready to to try to understand it, whether he could grasp it or not. He was ready to try, you know, and I think that's when you, you need to, to have those discussions. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, this is hard for you. Um, I wonder if, do you, do you talk about this very often? <laughs> no, um, no, I talk about Jackson a lot. But not the, not the process. Not, not the, the process. And I think it still bugs people. And it, and it kind of hurts my feelings that it does when yeah. I bring him up as if he's just here like Quinn is here yeah. and we're talking yeah. about things. Yeah. Because um, it's so real and, and still alive for me. Yeah. Um, 
but I do it anyway. Um, but I lost a lot of clients. I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of people after his death because it was too hard for them to know what to say, or they thought I was going to be an absolute wreck or a crazy person or, um, you know, and I, I may have been, who knows to them as far as I know. I mean, um, you know, it's hard for everyone. It's hard for people to, to know what to do or what to say. And, and it's sad. It's so sad that not everybody wants to go walk into sadness every day. That's not what most people are looking for happiness. Yeah. You know, so that's, um, I walk around with an unspoken broken. I just don't, I'm not, I'm broken, but I can't always just speak about it. Wow, it's so hard to lose anyone close to you, especially a child. People don't know what to say. They mean well, but sometimes their comments, well, they hurt and they make things worse. And having lost a child myself, I've learned to cry out to God because he is always there. Jeremiah 17, 14 tells me, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Those are powerful words. Those are helpful words. Those are saving words. And that's what we do here on Life Support. We tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus through suffering and trauma. I want to thank our fine partners that make this all possible at MyFaithRadio.com. Faith Radio has been wonderful. You can watch a video edition of this podcast on Five Stones website, FiveStoneMedia.com. You can check us out here at Ridgewood Church as well at MyRWC.org. Hey, thanks again. We'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. for listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support